Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, next Sunday is going to be a big day. And um, actually, for the very first time in NFL history, since as long as the league has been in existence, for the very first time, two brothers are going to square off coaching opposing teams in the Super Bowl. That's like historic. Everybody's been making a big deal about that. And they're two very, very good coaches, very successful coaches. In fact, both coaches had to make some strategic personnel moves this season. And it was a hard thing to do. And both of them, both coaches, had to keep their teams focused on the goal to the very, very end. And now they're in the Super Bowl. And next week, next week, we are going to find out which brother God loves the most. <laughs> that was a joke. Okay. Some of you are singing, oh, what kind of heresy do they preach around here? Now, I, I say that as a joke. But, but honestly, truthfully, if you think about it, when we think about God and relating to God, don't most of us have in the back of our mind that God has favorites? I mean, doesn't, doesn't it just in the back of your mind, you wouldn't say it out loud, but doesn't sometimes you think, well, God, God likes some people better than others. People who are good people, uh, obedient people, righteous people. God, yeah, I know he loves everybody, but he loves those kinds of people just a little bit more. God rewards good people. And, and, and the better that I am, the more God will love me. I think in the back of our minds, we kind of think that way. And grace is an incredible, incredible concept. And, and we love the idea of grace. But I think in the back of our minds, there's always that, yeah, but what about? What if? How can that? It doesn't seem fair. How can God be fair and do things like grace? If you're a guest here this morning, I'm so glad you're here because this morning you're going to hear what is foundational to who we are as a church. And if you've been around Northgate for a long time, this is a good refresher course because we started 22, 23 years ago with this idea that we were going to be a grace-based church, that if we did anything, we were going to tell people about the grace of God. And grace is a hard thing to understand. We started last week. These two chapters, Luke chapter 14 and Luke chapter 15, became absolutely life transformational for me, ministry transformational for me back 22 years ago when we started thinking about this. And as I read these two, um, the parable that we looked at last week and the one we're going to look at this morning, it just, it just hit me like it had never hit me before. Now, last week, we did kind of an introduction to grace. And we talked about the fact that everybody matters to God. And that everybody gets the same invitation to his kingdom. And everybody comes in the same way. But now we're going to take it a little bit deeper. Because in this next chapter, what Jesus does is he tells three stories back to back to back. And if you know anything about scripture and understanding scripture, anytime you come across a portion of scripture where God repeats himself, okay, it's important. And when he says it three times, it's like extra super important. So Jesus, in telling these three stories back to back to back, is trying to drive home a point, And it's all about grace. And we're going to dig into the, the third of these. But the, the first one is a story about a lost sheep that a shepherd goes out to find. And when he finds, brings it back and calls all of his friends and neighbors together, and they celebrate and have a party over it. 
that something of great value is lost, an all-out search is launched to find it, and when found, there's a great celebration. The second is very much like it. In fact, almost exactly, same pattern. It's about a woman, a widow, who has 10 coins and has lost one of them. And she turns the house upside down until she finds that one lost coin, cleans it from top to bottom until she finds that coin, and then she throws a party. Same pattern. Something of great value is lost. An all-out search is launched to find it. And when it is found, there's a great celebration. Lost sheep, a lost coin, and then to the story we're going to look at this morning, a lost son. And there's something very, very powerful in this story. If you want to follow along, we're in Luke chapter 15. Third story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now Jesus tells this story to an audience that's mixed. There is in his audience here a group of people called sinners and tax collectors. The kinds of people nobody really hung around with. And the other half of the audience were religious people. Pharisees and teachers of the law. And and what the religious people could not understand about Jesus was how he would hang out with the wrong kinds of people without requiring them to fix up their lives first. See, that was the rub. They couldn't understand how a righteous person could hang out with unrighteous people without requiring them to fix up their lives first. And, and they're grumbling about it. That's what brings up this whole conversation. That's why Jesus tells these three stories. Because they're making these accusations about him hanging out with the wrong kind, wrong kind of people. And they can't understand it. And so Jesus tells these stories. And he wants them to understand what the kingdom of God is all about. It is about grace. And there's some things you need to understand about grace. You need to understand that grace is about restoration. It is not about restitution. Not about restitution. It's all about restoration. 
to fully understand, fully understand this story, you need to understand a little bit of historical background. You need to understand what's going on in this picture. The younger son comes to his father, wants his share of the inheritance right now. Father isn't dead, but he wants his share of the inheritance right now. Now, as a younger son, he would be entitled to one-third of the estate. One-third of the estate, now, the father takes and gives to his son. Now, think about that, okay? Think about the financial loss that that, it, that entails. Because it wasn't like he had money in a bank. This meant going, most of his, prop, most of his uh, wealth was probably tied up in land and livestock. So it meant going out and selling his assets, liquidating his assets, selling some land, selling some livestock, coming up with the money, coming up with the cash that he could give to his son. 30%. Imagine one day losing 30% of your wealth. Some of you can imagine that. A couple of years ago, that happened to your retirement account. <laughs> Some of you maybe even experienced all of a sudden now you're paying for a home that's worth 30% less than it was when you bought it and you're making payments on a house that's not worth what you were paying for it. Okay? That kind of feeling, that's the kind of loss the father is experiencing. But it's not just a financial loss. There's also a loss of respect. Because what also goes on here is with wealth came a certain prestige, a certain standing in the community. So the loss of wealth would mean a loss of where you stood in the community. It would also be a loss of respect because what kind of parent has a son like that? So all the talk behind the back about this father and the way he was parenting is going on. So there's the financial loss, there's a loss of, of honor, loss of respect. And then on top of that, and probably the most devastating of all, is a relational loss. He loses a son. See, for his son to come to him and say, give me a third, give me, give me my share of the estate right here, right now. I'm not going to wait until you're dead. What his son is really saying to his father is, you are of no worth to me. The only value you have to me is your stuff. And I want my share now. In essence, he's saying to his father, you're dead to me. There's no relationship here. There's nothing, there's nothing going on between us. All I care about is your stuff. And that's devastating to the father. It's not just about money. It's about his, his standing in the community. It's about his relationship with his son. And so he does something that is absolutely unheard of. In fact, his listeners, his listeners to this story would go, what kind of son could do such a thing? If that were my son, if that were my son, don't talk to me about your inheritance because I just inherited, disinherited you. <laughs> There's no inheritance left for you anymore. In fact, I disown you for that kind of treatment. That would, be the, that would be the natural response to that request. But the father does something unheard of. He grants the request. He actually does this. He liquidates his assets. He divides up all that he has. And he gives it to the young son, only to have him take it and waste it all. And if you're a parent here, and you've had a son or a daughter go through a time in their life where they were making decisions that you just grieved over, you know what that father is feeling. If you've had a son or a daughter become addicted to drugs and see their life spiral down, or alcohol, or some other thing, and it just took over their lives. And just, you just saw them spiral on down and you couldn't do anything about it. You know the feeling this father has. That's what's going on here. And it's not until he hits rock bottom that he comes to his senses. 
you would think, you would hope, he would realize as things are going down, 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 he would stop before it hit bottom. But he waits. He waits until it hits absolute rock bottom. He gets a job feeding pigs, which is the worst possible job you could have as a Hebrew. That is totally not kosher. It's, it's horrible. And in fact, it's so bad, he would, he, would, he would be happy to eat the pig's food, but he's not even allowed to eat that. He has hit absolute rock bottom. And then, and then he comes up with a plan. And this is his plan. I will set out and go back to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, here's the good part of that plan. The good part of that plan is he knows the heart of his father. He knows the character of his father. He knows no matter what he has done, that there is still something about his father that he can go back to. And that's a good thing. He knows his father's generosity. He knows how well he treats his hired people. He knows that that if I go back and work for my dad, at least I'll get some food. (laughs) I'll be taken care of. In fact, they have food to spare, he says. And so he makes the decision. Now, the good part of the decision is he knows the heart of his father. The bad part of the decision is he thinks it's about making restitution. He asks for a very specific thing. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, that's not a household servant. That's something different. A hired servant would be a tradesman or a craftsman or someone who was a skilled laborer. And a hired servant actually got a wage. They would actually get some income. A household servant didn't. They just got room and board. But a hired servant would be someone who would come in and they would actually get a wage. And so what he's thinking is, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to start earning money. and I'm going to pay my dad back. His plan is a plan of restitution, and it's a bad plan, because grace is not about restitution, it's about restoration, and they're two very, very different things. His plan is, maybe I can pay my dad back, but see, he thinks it's just about the money. He doesn't understand the heartache. He doesn't understand all those other losses that his father has gone through, and so there's no way in the world he's going to be able to pay all that back even if he could come up with all the money. But he thinks my answer, my answer is to make restitution. The father has a different plan. It's restoration. And as he gets back, it says his father, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. He didn't wait for him to come groveling back. He didn't go up to him and start to hug him and say, oh man, you smell like pigs. (laughs) You go take a shower, come back, and then we'll we'll, we'll talk, okay? He didn't come back and say, okay, now what are you going to do differently this next time? There is nothing there. There's no rehabilitation expected. There's no restitution expected. There's none of those things expected of him. His father just welcomes him back. And in fact, when the son tries to go through his speech. I don't know if you caught it when we read through it all together. He doesn't get to finish the speech. He only gets halfway through. He gets right to the part where I'm no longer to be called your son, but make me one of your hired servants. And as he, goes, as he begins to go into that, he says, the father said to his servants, quick, put on the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
Now that would be astounding to his hearers. Maybe our familiarity with this, this story kind of numbs us to it. But every one of the hearers would be saying, well, wait, 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 wait. I mean, shouldn't you see if his repentance is real? I mean, shouldn't there be like a probationary period and, and let's see if he's really serious this time? I mean, shouldn't we, shouldn't we see, let, let's sign a contract so you can, you know, okay, I'm going to hold you accountable to this stuff. That's not the father's heart because it's not about restitution. It's about restoration. And I know so many people even people who are Christ followers who still think it's about restitution. They still think, I've got to make up something to God. And what you need to understand is the restitution, the rehabilitation, even the repentance have nothing to do with the Father's love. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's the Father's love that makes that return even possible. He knows His Father. And he doesn't know how he's going to be received, but he knows enough that it's worth a try. It's a message of grace. It's a wonderful picture of grace, but it's a little unsettling. How can that be? How can that be? Well, if you're feeling that way, if you're thinking that way, there's more to the story. That's only the first half. Let me read to you the rest. Carrying on. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back now safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And then this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that's the second part of grace. The grace is more about with than about what. See, the older brother thinks it's all about what. What I've done. What I've not done. See, that's what he says. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Look at all that I have done. Look at what I have done. Look at what I have not done. And in fact, look at what the other brother's done. Look at him. Look at what he's done. When this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. So look at, look at what, what I've done. Look at what he's done. This isn't right. Because he thinks it's about what. It's not about what. Grace is about with. What the father wants more than anything else is for his family to be restored. To have both his sons with him. And he doesn't give up on the younger brother who goes off and squanders everything. But he, and, he, and he goes and runs out to him when he turns. And when the older brother refuses to come in, he doesn't give up on him either. 
he goes out to him as well. And he says these words. My son, you are always with me. With, not what. It's not what you've done. It's the fact that you're with me. That's what matters. See, that's the message of grace. It's, it's, it's not about restitution. It's about restoration. And it's not about what you've done. It's about who wants you with him. That's the heart there. God wants everyone to be with him. The antidote to what is with. And I know so many Christ followers who are still trying to prove they're worthy of a father's love. Still trying to prove. In fact, here's some ways you can tell if you've got a little bit of that older brother syndrome. If serving God seems like slavish obedience to you, like it's a duty and a chore. There's a little bit of older brother syndrome in there. If, if you carry some feelings of superiority or judgmentalism, that's older brother syndrome. That's comparing me with somebody else. If you find yourself angry, filled with resentment when life doesn't work out the way you thought it should. I'll be honest with you. I came to a crossroads in my ministry a number of years ago. I had taken a position at a church up in Washington. And the church was in really bad shape in a lot of ways. It had been through a split. This was one half of the church split that was left behind. And, and I went there and took up this position as an associate pastor at that church. And, and it was a grueling. It was, I was only there one year. And it was the worst year of my life. It was miserable. And, and the finances of the church were so bad, I never knew if I was going to get my paycheck. I mean, just everything about this whole thing was just horrible, horrible, horrible. But I was just convinced God had called me here, so we're going to stick it out. We're going to stick it out. And then after a year of suffering through all of this kind of thing, it ended up that I had no job. And I was so angry at God. And I remember saying to God, if this is the way you treat the people who want to serve you, you can have it. I've got nothing to do with this anymore. I am done. That's older brother syndrome. Believing that somehow God owes me something because I'm being faithful to him. It's not about what. It's about with. And the last thing you need to know is grace must be free. By definition, by definition, grace is a gift. It comes freely. It must be free, but it's not without cost. It's not without cost. There's one glaring difference in these three stories. In the first two stories, something of great value is lost. An all-out search is launched for it, and when it's found, there is a party. Both of those. But did you notice the difference in this story? In this story, Something of great value is lost, and there's a party at the return, but the middle part, nobody goes out. Nobody goes. Who should have gone out? Somebody should. If this, if this story is like the other two, why does Jesus leave that part of the story out? Who's supposed to go for the younger brother? The father? The father knows where he stands with the brother. 
that younger son, he knows he can't do anything to keep his son even home, much less bring him back. Who's supposed to go? I'd submit to you, the older brother. It's his job. See, he's got the responsibilities of an older brother. He is supposed to be his brother's keeper. It's his job to say to his father, my, my brother has been a fool, but I'm going to go whatever it takes and bring it back. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. He is too consumed with his own well-being. He is too consumed with his own comfort. If he goes and gets his brother back, that's going to be at a cost to him. In fact, when his father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, he's speaking quite literally because the father has divided the estate and the younger brother took his third and squandered it all. Everything that's left is now the older brother's stuff. The ring is the older brother's ring. The robe is the older brother's robe. The calf, the fattened calf, is the older brother's fattened calf. It costs the older brother something for the younger brother to come home. And he's unwilling to pay that price. In fact, he is just as lost at his younger brother as his younger brother. Because to him, it's still about the father's stuff. It's ironic that the one comes home willing to be made a slave and is instead restored as a son. And the one who has been the good son all along talks as if he's been a slave. They didn't understand grace. Somebody needed to go out. But the older brother was unwilling to pay the price. See, forgiveness and grace always has a cost. Always. It's free, but it's always at a cost. If I loan you my car and you take it out and total it, just wipe the whole thing out, Okay, even when the insurance pays for it, there's this thing called the deductible. Now I got two choices. I can hold you responsible and accountable to pay the difference, that deductible. Or I can choose to absorb it myself and simply forgive. But either way, somebody's going to pay that price. See, forgiveness always has a price to it. Whether, it, whether it's somebody's back talking, whether it's somebody's gossip behind your back, whatever it is, there's something that you have to do. There's a, there's a cost that you absorb to be able to forgive. And that's what Christ Jesus did. See, we have an older brother, a real older brother. That's what Jesus did. He's the older brother that's missing from the story. He came. And he paid the ultimate price. And that's what the cross is all about. People say, why, if God is so loving and forgiving, why doesn't he just forgive everybody? Because forgiveness has a cost. And the cost was the life of his son. But he was willing to pay the price for your forgiveness and mine. And that's what Paul writes about to the Roman church. He says, everyone has sinned. No one measures up to God's glory. But the free gift of God's grace makes us, all of us, right with him. Christ Jesus paid the price to set us free. To the Corinthian church, he says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's grace. 
That's grace. Grace is about restoration, not restitution. You could never pay back what you owe. You could never pay back. And it's not about what, it's about being with. And it comes freely as a gift, but somebody paid a dear price for it. And if you're here this morning and your relationship with God is about making restitution and it's about trying to uh, pay your way back, it's about trying to earn a father's love, if it's all about what you do or don't do and you're missing out on the with, it's very simple. You just got to believe that God loves you no matter what. And that the price has been paid in full and there's no debt left owing. And then you just got to decide, that's what I need. And that's what I want. And I'm putting my trust in that truth. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 